They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. So you don't believe that there is a God? you think that we all project this into reality? First, you'd have to give me a good definition of what you mean by God, whether I can agree with that or not. I don't know. I'd have to hear that definition. In terms of a celestial or transcendent God, which is not imminent in the universe, but is instead beyond what we conceive of as physical reality, I think that lies also in those ideas of Kant that there is a numeral world, a thing in itself, which our consciousness is unable to assess and which is ineffable. And if you want to call that God, I'm fine with that. But I think that our, our consciousness itself is part of that physical construct and that our current scientific interpretations of what time and space are, are again reflections of how our own higher mind creates our consciousness and that time and space as we perceive them don't actually exist, that things in the past don't actually pass away, that everything is coextant, as Parmenides said, and that we exist in a series of different worlds that our consciousness is a part of and our consciousness operates on three separate aspects which form like databases and those are our memories our uh, sensual cognition of the present and our premonitions of the future and that it's very important that those three databases be as accurate as possible welcome to the one-on-one podcast with your host Juan Ayala. And I guess we could just introduce ourselves because it's going on your on your channel and it's on my channel. I'm Juan from the One One Podcast. And I am Christopher John Bjorkness from CJBbooks.com. And today we're gonna get we're gonna be talking about some heretical stuff. Today you can find me at the One One Podcast on any social media platform, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, all that good stuff. And we're going to get heretical today. Very heretical. We know that the educational system, the religious system, everything is not what they have told us. And I know Christopher really goes hard in the paint when it comes to some of these heretical ideas that are not, it's not new on my show. So I don't mind getting a little bit controversial, but just a heads up, right? Because some people, they identify with whatever religion that they are in and which is fine right because i do believe that religion serves its purpose as far as giving somebody a structure giving somebody a purpose so at the at its core the ten commandments don't be a piece of crap right be a good person 
don't kill anybody. That's fine, right? As long as you don't hurt yourself or others, I'm good. Leave the kids out of the whole stuff that's going on in the world. And you can worship Cthulhu for all I care or Golem Jesus. So who, who cares, right? But just a heads up that we are going to get very heretical and we're going to go deep. So um, perhaps worse than heretical, we're going to be blasphemous <laughs> and we are going to uh, explode many religious mythologies that have been built up. And if you are a religious person, if you're a religious person with an open mind, I think you'll be grateful to be exposed to this information, which will give you new insights. These insights may even increase your faith, but um, please keep an open mind, uh, vet all the sources I refer to, and uh, judge for yourself. It's funny how that works, right? Sources, how it, it always goes back to one guy, but then where did, I always wonder, where did that guy get it, right? Oh, yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. You can go back to uh, Pythagoras, and then he was taught by an Egyptian priest. And where did the Egyptians learn it from? And then there's also this other aspect to that, that so many cultures seem to have the same origin myths. Mm -hmm. So it may be an aspect of human nature, which has been in us for hundreds of thousands of years. For those, may be the rational conclusion that uh, human beings draw when they experience their environment and uh, observe nature. Before we get too deep into it, Christopher, where can people on my end find you, your work? Uh, where can they go to find you if they want to read your books? Because I know you have numerous books published. And you also have a publishing company of them, correct? Uh, they're self-published. It's through uh, cjbbooks.com. In there, you'll find a description of all my books in print. Not all of my books are still in print. Many have been censored and uh, never republished. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, CJB Books, which you can find by going to YouTube and searching for CJB Books. And I have a Twitter account of the same name. Awesome. And I just want to plug one more thing. I, I, I did start a little, I called it a zine at first, but it's more of a, I want to call it, a journal, the occultist Monday, and it's a uh, various public. I wrote about the homunculus in this one, but we have various, uh, people writing in it. Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy. Paranoid American slick dissident and homie Romy from rising from the ashes. And it's, it's the armchair occultists reader digest. I guess you could call it that, but yeah, you can find that on my website, the one on podcast.com. And yeah, it's, it's a, jam-packed of occult stuff and i think i'm gonna keep it going but i i started as a zine at first but i guess you could consider it a zine but i think it's more serious it's, it's more scholarly you know what i mean so i just i didn't like the whole zine thing so i switched it up and calling it a journal now it's it's inspired by you ever heard of manly p hall's all-seeing eye yes yeah it's something like that obviously not as hard in the paint as daddy manly p hall but but something something of a, a revival i guess you could call it but you can find so that, that means website. the occult world, right? Yeah, the hidden world, the occultist Monday, the the hidden or world, the secret world, yeah. the secret world. Yeah. So I I did this just to because I think that especially what we're gonna about to get into today, it's it's got to do with the occult and these individuals, the ones that I like to call the reptilian overlords, and if they're actually lizards or not, it is what it is, but. The archons, the, the dark forces at work, whatever is trying to hold you back, that's what I refer to 
as these people, right? And these people, they speak in code. They speak in symbols. Symbols are the language of the soul. So I, what I want to do is help people identify maybe occult symbology or bring forth some new no- esoteric knowledge that they don't know about. You know what I mean? Like just bring awareness and not let it die. Cause as my hat says, make esoterica great again, right? A lot of people are, <laughs> how you're saying some people are, they censored your books. That's crazy, right? Words, yes. whatever happened to a sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whatever happened to that? They do believe that words can hurt them because exposing the truth exposes their agenda and they don't want people to be aware of it because in order to make uh, ranch, rational decisions with your conscious mind, as, in, as opposed to being programmed in your subconscious mind in an almost quasi-hypnotic state, your consciousness needs to rely on factual understandings of the past, present, and future. And what I try to do is provide that factual information so that people can arrive at rational decisions as opposed to emotional decisions and simply not follow what they've been told, but instead be able to determine for themselves what is true. I come from a background of, I was Pentecostal Christian. I still identify with, I I believe in a God, but how you're saying, I don't subscribe to the mainstream narrative of whatever they say is God, right? I do believe that there is a source. There has to be a source. And you mentioned Pythagoras earlier. I think that he was right by saying all his number and by saying all his number, Maybe he's hinting at binary code. Maybe it is some sort of simulation. If there's a simulation, there's got to be a programmer or some sort of architect. And how you're saying a lot of these ancient religions, they all have a similar creation story. Do you think that's part of maybe the human psyche trying to make up for something? Or do you actually, do you believe that there is something more than me, something more than meets the eye that there actually might be some creator being maybe not a Braxis, maybe Cthulhu, Cthulhu and friends, maybe. What do you, where do you stand with that? I think a big part of what you're describing is that the mind reflects upon itself and comes to understand the processes by which it has assembled its images of nature and existence. And the mind evidently operates with number, and number implies measurement. And most scientific procedures involve measurements in space and time. And the mind tries to orient itself within uh, the, uh, the noumenal world, as Kant called it, through its phenomenological experiences. And that since our human minds are very similar amongst us, at least for most people, we arrive at similar conclusions. And the fundamental precept of science is that like conditions produce like results. So when human beings existing on the earth assess their position in the universe, they look at how they uh, regenerate themselves through procreation. They observe the fact that the sun and the moon revolve around the earth in a cycle of darkness and light. It tends to uh, arrive at similar conclusions as to how the chaotic world becomes animated into the form of life and as to how uh, the human mind is differentiated from the lower animals and they therefore human beings arrive at the conclusion 
that there was some higher mind than our own minds, which generated creation and gave some kind of order to this chaotic world in the form of animated and souled beings, human beings being among those. And then there's also this human nature of being in social groups and having parents and having children. And we tended uh, to create our gods in that image that we had some kind of paternal and maternal influences which guide us and can protect us or can destroy us. So So I think it's very much self-reflective and uh, reflective of our nature in our environment that tends to generate similar conclusions, true or false, as to our origins, our purpose, and our destiny. So you don't believe that there is a God? You think that we all project this into reality? First, you'd have to give me a good definition of what you mean by God, whether I can agree with that or not. I don't know. I'd have to hear that definition. In terms of uh, a celestial or transcendent God, which is not imminent in the universe, but is instead uh, beyond what we conceive of as physical reality, I think that lies also in those ideas of Kant that there is a numeral world, a thing in itself, which our consciousness is unable to assess and which is ineffable. And if you want to call that God, I'm fine with that. But I think that our our consciousness itself is part of that physical construct and that uh, our current scientific interpretations of what time and space are, are again reflections of how our own higher mind creates our consciousness Mm -hmm. and that time and space as we perceive them don't actually exist that uh, things in the past don't actually pass away, that everything is coextant, as Parmenides said, and that we exist in a series of different worlds that our consciousness is a part of. And our consciousness operates on three uh, separate aspects which form like databases, and those are our memories, our uh, sensual cognition of the present, and our premonitions of the future, and that it's very important that those three databases be as accurate as possible, which is why I've written my books to provide human consciousness with an accurate interpretation of the past, an accurate understanding of our present conditions, and therefore a more rational set of premonitions and expectations of the future. You're spitting some black belt stuff right now, Christopher. You're, you're... You're go. You're going deep already, and I'm trying to keep up with you. Let's 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 talk about the the Gnostics, right? Let's work our way. I want to talk about the Gnostics because you do have a Braxis behind you, and mm-hmm. then we can pave our way into the whole Jesus being Golem, Homunculi, Homunculus, whatever it is, and then we can go from there. But what are your thoughts on the the Gnostics and what they're? Because you're talking about this Akashic records, right? This this global consciousness almost am i correct in in saying that where you're able to because it absolutely we don't understand time itself it's it's a man-made thing scaligarian chronology he was a catholic priest or a jesuit priest or something like that and he came up with it i think that it's all bullshit right it's all it's all a man-made system in order to entrap us how the gnostics were saying that this this flesh shell thing is a prison for the soul, right? That was their whole thing to transcend 
to the next, the, the upper eons. And we were stuck in the lower eons. And obviously the most heretical or blasphemous thing that the Gnostics are talking about is that the Satan archetype, the devil archetype, Yadabaoth, created the material world. And I said that one time to a Christian and they almost had a seizure. They were like, do you worship <laughs> Satan? And I'm like, no, dude, I am simply telling you a story of creation. What are your thoughts on the Gnostics and their whole cosmology and their worldview, if you will? That's a great question. Um, what the Gnostics did was pursue the oral tradition of Judaism as opposed to the written tradition of the Tanakh and specifically the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they revealed the fact that the Israelites always hated that evil God, Yahweh, who is Yaltabaoth, the creator. What the Platonics, the uh, middle Platonics at the time that Gnosticism evolved, said was that the Demiurge was an emanation from the Monad or the One because the monad wanted to preserve its unity in order to create a differentiated universe, which was distant from itself, it needed to create a creator God. And that creator God was called the Demiurge, which is Greek for the craftsman or the artisan who creates. That Demiurge was an androgyne. It had both a male and a female aspect to it and the male aspect was actually the creator, it then emanated its female aspect, which the uh, Neoplatonists called the world soul, which is also found in Plato's original works. Is that the noose? Is that what they called it? The noose is the mind. The cosmic mind. Yes, that is uh, within the Demiurge. But Mm. the first intellect, the highest mind, is within the monad. And there were different branches of Platonism which broke off from that. But um, in the standard Neoplatonistic view, which is what inspired Kabbalah and uh, was developed at the same time as Gnosticism in a very parallel way, the uh, Demiurge is the Logos, which is the divine set of principles, effectively the male seed which establishes order in the moist earth of chaos, that moisture being the seminal fluid itself, which is also perceived of as light. So it is perceived that the universe is the night, Nix, which is the chaotic womb, which is the material world. And that material world is in chaos. It is the most distant aspect from the one, It is infinitely particular. Uh, It can be subdivided infinitely as opposed to the divine perfection of the unity of the monad or the one. And what the Demiurge does is it emits its light. Uh, The concept of the Demiurge derives from the Orphic god Phanes, protogenous light bringer first begotten, who is the child of Ananka, his mother, and Kronos, eternal time, his father. He is created as a silver cosmic egg by Kronos and Ananka. And that cosmic egg explodes in a big bang of light. And the light is the seminal fluid, the seed that commingles in the womb of night, Nyx, which is represented as a serpent 
that entwines about the cosmic egg. And those two things um, create the universe. And that is why I said that all of this is reflective of what human beings perceived of their own existence, that the male places uh, his seed into the womb of the female, which is a dark, warm, moist place. And that then gives birth to an ordered creation that has an intellect and a soul. And this is the concept of the Trinity on a uh, individual level. Everyone has a mind, body, and soul. And uh, that all gets into Kabbalah. We probably won't get too deeply into that today. But I just wanted to give evidence and an example of the fact that all of these things are derived from our empirical understanding of our own generation as human beings generated from our parents. They believe that the universe was generated from its parents. And it also related to the idea that each new dawn is a um, recreation of the universe. This was the Egyptian conception of the light emerging on the horizon to co-mingle with the darkness and to uh, fertilize the seed in the moist earth. All of this relates to the idea of the man um, putting his seed into the woman and uh, her nurturing that seed to create human beings that have an intellect and a soul. And human beings always perceive themselves as having a much higher order, a state of order over chaos and being rational as opposed to chaos, which is irrational and stupid. It's funny how that works, right? Where, where it, it always goes back to that sperm, <laughs> to the, to, to the seed. Right. And what, what do you, what are your thoughts on, I spoke, you ever heard of Joseph Lumpkin? Joseph Lumpkin. Yeah. I'm sure I've heard the name before, but I can't place it. I've done a couple episodes with him and he's written a few books and he's translated the book of Enoch and he's got a few publications. The book of Enoch was very significant work. He, I, I recently did an episode with him where we talked about the evolution of religion because we're talking fairly recent events, right? If, if you want to follow the time that they're giving us, because we can talk about that, but Fairly recent events, 2,000 years from now, do you believe that religion will be what we have it as today? Or do you think that it's going to evolve? Because we talked about the evolution of it, and Dr. Lumpkins said that he believes that there's going to be a new axial age, that there's going to be a new age where people are going to awaken and there's going to be these new I don't know if it's going to be the AI messiahs or the metaverse messiahs. I don't know what it's going to be, but that it's going to change because I, I don't see it holding up 2000 years from now. I mean, it's got to change. There's going to be some crazy discovery at one point or something where they're going to. It. It's the uh, crucial experiment that explodes all of our uh, mythologies An experimental crisis is what it's called that uh, forces human beings to reorient their mm. beliefs in a new direction. Uh, it's very interesting that you frame this in a 2000 year framework because that matches the zodiacal ages. Mm. And um, I've had uh, researched the idea that the um, 
Genesis story, the six days relates to thousand year periods, millennium, mm. and that uh, that forms a 6,000 year cycle broken down into the 2,000 years of the Zodiac um, from Taurus to Aries to Pisces. And we're now on the verge of entering the age of Aquarius. And that will be the next 2,000 year period. And um, the Kabbalists try to break that down, and so do the Christians, into either a millennial period, a thousand year period, or a 2,000 year period. In terms of the direction that we are headed, it depends who wins and triumphs in the current battle for existence that we face. His story. It's his story for a reason. <laughs> right. And uh, as you, you initially framed it, that we are up against people who are the forces of darkness. Those people have the inverted conception that we are the forces of darkness and that we have to be eliminated so that the light can fill the vacuum in God that God created and then filled with light into uh, vessels of material, of matter, that shattered and created the darkness which enshrouds the light. And they believe that the universe has to be cleansed of those uh, dark vessels, which are broken into shards that they refer to as shells or husks or kelipote that are like oyster shells that conceal the divine sparks, which are like pearls. So we're just shells to them? We're worse than that. We are what they call the evil inclination. Uh, we referred to this vaguely before the darkness itself is seen as a universal force of chaos, which is the evil serpent. And there are two forms of light. There is the light of darkness and the light of day. And those are separated in the story of Genesis. And in most occult traditions, they're viewed as Abraxas's legs, the evil serpent and the good serpent. But they are one in the same serpent and they have to be combined and the cosmic process, as understood by those who want to eliminate us, is that the chaos gradually assimilates and absorbs the light of day, which increases its own strength. And at the end of the cycle, it has completely absorbed all of that light and the darkness shines. And then all of the dark shells have been eliminated through a process that they refer to as rectification. And that process of rectification is removing those evil shells of the Kelipot. Now, the evil inclination is referred to as the other side, the Sitra Akra. And uh, the specific word for evil inclination is Yetzer Hara. And all of this uh, can see, be seen on a macrocosmic level as how the process of the universe unfolds. But the uh, human being is viewed as a microcosm of that macrocosm. So the human being also has two forces within him or her. And they have the good inclination and the evil inclination. And this derives from uh, the Platonic notion of the charioteer who is pulled to the heavens by a white horse and by a black horse. The black horse represents the body, the corpse of flesh of the Gnostics, 
that continually draws the soul back to the material world where it wants food, where it wants sex, where it wants to live forever and where it wants to procreate. But the white horse of the charioteer is the soul trying to return to its source, its transcendental source of the light which first emanated its divine spark. And in Kabbalah, this is pursued as an ascent back up the Sephirot to the original source of the light. But all of this has very, very ancient roots as uh, Simo Parpola proved in his article, The Assyrian Tree of Life, Tracing the Origins of Jewish Monotheism and Greek Philosophy. And he spoke about the Akkadian and earlier belief in the tree of life, which had an eagle on top of it and a serpent at the base. And this reappears in Gnosticism in the Apocryphon of John, where uh, they are also confronted with the eagle and the serpent in the tree of life. And these are symbols of the ascent back to the gods. The eagle represents the ascent because uh, the individual in the story flies on the eagle so that his soul returns to the gods. But the serpent is constantly tempting humanity with the needs of its body to have sex, to enjoy treasure, to pursue food. And the Neoplatonists um, were the primary school that latched onto this as well as the Gnostics at about exactly the same time, and they criticized one another. But they both centered uh, belief on being the release of the soul from the corpse of flesh so that it could return to its source. But I believe that that was initiated as a trap for Christians so that they would give up the material world and leave it in the hands of the Israelites and that the Romans could be eliminated with this trap because by embracing Satan as their God, Jesus Christ is Satan in Gnosticism. They have abandoned all of their supernatural protection and their pagan gods. And the other mistake that they made in Orthodox Christianity was to uh, recognize Yahweh, Yeltabaoth, as their primary god. But what the Gnostics revealed was the oral tradition belief that Yeltabaoth, Yahweh, is actually an evil force, a malevolent force, a misanthropic force that, like the gods of uh, the Sumerians and the Akkadians, resented humanity for being too noisy and wanted to kill us all. And so what they did was they exchanged gods with the Romans and the Greeks. And they gave the Romans and the Greeks, Yeltabaoth and Satan in the form of Jesus Christ and Yahweh. And they themselves adopted Neoplatonism in the form of Kabbalah and Proto-Kabbalah, which was essentially uh, Gnosticism if you reverse it back into Judaism. Because Gnosticism is Judaism turned on its head. Yahweh becomes the evil force, Yataboath, and Satan becomes the good force, Jesus Christ. Can and we pause we... there real quick, Christopher? Because yes, because you mentioned Jesus having serving a purpose, right? To you said destroy the Romans, 
and he's also a golem. he's sent as a force of chaos to destroy the romans i apologize for interrupting no no you're good i just want to pause it there before we go any further because that'll that'll segue us into the the next thing obviously there's a bunch of places where, where we can go but i want to solidify this idea because the the bogomils the cathars they all believe that the old testament was a work of demons right that was that was their whole thing and absolutely yes and that creation is bad and that children should be aborted, that uh, semen and menstrual waste should be consumed as divine essence. <laughs> as Eucharist. And essentially, that human beings should be, um, well, we can get into the, I have some novel insights into the Eucharist, but that human beings should be eliminated because it was evil to trap souls in the uh, material war. I have a, a the few. Monad, the one was uh, complete unity. And therefore, the ego had to be sacrificed. The self had to be sacrificed to the one through the death of the ego, which is death itself. So they duped the Romans into believing in this uh, Platonistic conception that the material world is evil and that they had to return to the world of ideal <laughs> forms. And so that they committed collective suicide. And the Roman Catholic Church recognized this to an extent and uh, slaughtered the Cathars so that they didn't slaughter all Europeans. Well, okay, you just back up, Christopher, because you just said some crazy shit just now. So you said that they duped the Romans into believing that they needed to go on to the next realm. Be so, can you break that down again? Slow, slow it down a little bit, because that's. It's pretty crazy, You're but picking are, up on it, man. You're getting it. Are they it. are they killing themselves or what are they doing? Because uh... they're failing to have children was the initial plan. That they viewed uh, sexuality as evil. It was genocide? They viewed absolutely. That was the plan. But that plan goes way back. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have the battle between um, the descendants of. Eve and the serpent, who was Cain, and you had the serpent's curse, where the serpent's head would be crushed, and he would strike the heel of the descendants of Eve through Adam, which were Seth. So you had that cosmic war, war of extermination between these two forces, which are reframed as the sons of light and the sons of darkness in the Qumran, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the War Scroll. All of that goes back to the initial mythology that Cain was the child of Eve and the serpent and therefore has that dual nature. And the curse is put upon them to be at war with one another and is repeated in the story of the twins, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob tricks Esau into surrendering his blessings, which is his soul, to Jacob. Because Esau is the firstborn child. The firstborn is primordial chaos. And it has the highest soul of Tohu. Vavohu. That's why it's sacrificed, right? That's why they sacrificed the firstborn. That's what I've been writing in my book. It was sacrificed to Moloch. So that that soul would then enter the body of the secondborn. And then it is the firstborn who receives the double inheritance. And they believe that this cosmic cycle of this first 6,000 years of Taurus, Aries, Pisces will end. And that cycle is the present world, Olam Hazeh. At the end of that cycle, 
chaos triumphs and creates a new world, Olam Haba, which is the world to come. For that to happen, all of the firstborn have to be sacrificed to Moloch and give up their soul, Yechida Mashiach, the soul of the evil serpent, the soul of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself gives up his soul to his twin Messiah, son of David. Jesus is Messiah, son of Joseph. So Jesus, the reason that Jesus has to die in the story is so that his soul, Yechida Mashiach, is released and can enter the body of Messiah, son of Joseph. Again, we have this uh, trinity of mind, body, and soul. Messiah, son of David, is the vessel. Messiah, son of Joseph, is the soul. So he has to die, and then the evil serpent and the good serpent, the serpent of light and the serpent of darkness, can commingle in the king of the Israelites, who is Messiah, son of David. And who was the son of David? Well, we don't know. They have named various people. Uh, the most significant in the history of Kabbalah was a man named Shabbatai Tsevi, who was said, who declared. Why does that himself, name sound familiar to me? Is that, did, did, somebody worships that guy, right? Because I've heard that name before. Is that Zoroastrian or something? No, no, it's much later. Uh, he declared himself to be Messiah, son of David, in 1666 which was the year that the Zohar predicted that the Messiah, son of David, would arrive. And he was led by his mentor, Nathan of Gaza, to appear as Messiah, son of David. And he had a tremendous following among uh, Jews around the world. And he got into trouble with uh, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire because when the Messiah, son of David, arrives, the Jews are supposed to be restored to Palestine. Mm. And the sultan didn't want that to happen. So he put uh, Shabbatai Tsevi on trial, and Shabbatai Tsevi pretended to convert to Islam and formed a cult within Islam known as the Dernmei. It's the one, the became, inversion guys, where they do everything just completely transgress. I've heard of this before, yeah. This that's the doctrine of redemption through sin, where they invert, which is the what Torah the lizard people do. like to do. This is what they, so they achieve divinity through transgression, through all these fucked up things that we hear about. Uh, this is what I believe that all these guys, Crowley, Parsons, all the greatest occultists were were doing. Right? I mean, this is now you got it, and that the reason they do that is because Yahweh was a son of a bitch. He hated humanity, and his book was the map of creation, but it is not the map of the world to come. So all that Yahweh's book is telling is for the first 6,000 years of creation in which the enemies of the Israelites, which is everyone else, has to be eliminated. Once that is complete, Yahweh becomes irrelevant, and the Torah becomes irrelevant. So in fact, to bring that about, the Shabbatians believe that they have to reverse the Torah and spit on the name of Yahweh. And it is simply a repetition of what the Gnostics did. 
They spit on the name of Yahweh and they celebrated Satan in the form of Jesus Christ. In this Kabbalistic belief system, Satan is the guardian angel and the progenitor of the non-Israelites. And they have the higher soul of the firstborn because the Gentile world existed before the Israelite world. The nations existed first. So they have to be sacrificed to Moloch and their souls have to be released and then be absorbed and assimilated by Jacob, who are the Israelites, who then mix the darkness and the light and the darkness shines. And that's why there's an eighth candle on the menorah to celebrate the world to come when the darkness will shine. And Joseph is also the literal definition of motherfucker because he was supposedly he was the stepdad right he was the 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 my buddy breaks it down that he was the lord so he was he rules with an iron fist and uh yeah this is this is all really joseph was hated by his brothers for that fact that he had this dream that he would rule over them (laughs) but the greater significance of joseph is that he ruled the world from behind pharaoh's throne in the same way that Christ ruled the world from behind the throne of Rome. So that's why he's referred to as the Messiah, son of Joseph, because he repeats that process of ruling the entire world from behind the throne of the greatest non-Israelite empire on earth. Messiah, son of David, will rule the entire world from Jerusalem, from Zion, and uh, he will be able to do that because the non-Israelite world will have been eliminated from existence. So that is why we have the distinction of Messiah, son of Joseph, and Messiah. Son is that of the one forty-four number, one hundred forty-four thousand number? One hundred forty-four thousand number is from the Book of Revelations, and it relates to one hundred forty-four thousand uh, Jewish virgin men who will. Um, be the remnant that helps to restore the Jewish people after the final judgment. Interesting. I wanted to to bring up right now that, that we're talking about the Gnostics and we're going, we're going deep. Uh, one of my favorite excerpts from the Nag Hammadi, the gospel of Judas, where the disciples said to Jesus, tell us how our end will be. Jesus said, since you have discovered the beginning, why do you seek the end? For where the beginning is, there will be the, there will the end be. Blessed is who he who shall stand at the beginning, in the beginning, and he shall know the end and shall not taste death. The the Gnostic Jesus was very poetic. He he was really they put a lot of beautiful words in his mouth. And I want to go and talk about this. I want to fortify the idea that this Jesus character. And Christ is a, a title, right? Jesus Christ is is the man under the possession of the Christ consciousness, right? That's that's the way I learned about it. The soul, that, the soul, yeah. Yeah, the, when he was baptized in the river of Jordan by John the Baptist, right, which we can get into that, they believed that he was, that's why the Mandeans and the, and what, what's the other ones, the Manichaeans, is that, is that how you say it? Uh, the ones that yes. that revere later. yes but that's why they believe that that baptism is like this this extra thing and they revere John the Baptist as the true messiah but 
this idea that he was out of this world. In the Gospel of Judas, Judas acknowledges that Jesus is from the immortal realm of Barbalo. And in that book, in that text, which is crazy, right? The, the disciple, the Judas is the good guy in that story, which is, this is why I think a lot of this stuff is bullshit. Because if you go to its core, if you really go and look at religion, how you mentioned earlier, they think we're the bad guys. We think they're the bad guys. So we're just going back and forth. Nothing is being done, right? Nothing is being done because at the end of the day, we're going to still continue. I don't hate anybody, right? But there are some religions where you are literally indoctrinated to hate. Uh, I remember when in Sunday, in Sunday class, they would tell us about how other religions, Islam, Hinduism, whatever other religions, they were going to go to hell and they were going to burn for eternity because they weren't following our way. I'm like, what? But who said our way was the correct way? You know, who, who, who said that? What a whole bunch of guys who won wars and pushed an idea and indoctrinated millions of people throughout history. They were fighting. They were schisms over what bread that they were using at the Eucharist. They were fighting over how to handle the bread for the Eucharist. Those are the they guys thought about the idea that the bread becomes poop. Yes. And therefore Jesus is turned into poop. They are, they are arguing about this stuff. They couldn't even, they didn't even know about what they were, what they were doing. So, so in this story, Jesus takes them aside and he tells Judas that he needs to turn him in to free him from this physical realm, from this world. So Judas is the good guy. Jesus confides in Judas in the gospel of Judas and he, and the disciples hate Jesus. They say that they despise him. And it's my favorite because there's a line in there where Jesus disappears. And then the, the, the disciples are like, hey, where'd you go? And he's like, pretty much like, hey, I just, I went to another dimension because I can't, you know, I can't do, I can't deal with you guys right now. So I was literally in, a, in another, t- he said, I'm in another time enjoying myself pretty much. And I came back here because you guys are, you guys are dragging me down. And it says that the disciples, uh, they despited Jesus and that Judas was the, the, the good guy. And there's, there's another version where Judas kisses Jesus because he needed to be identified before he could shapeshift. So you have the shapeshifting Jesus story as well. It's, it's, but they don't want you to read these things. I remember bringing up the Nag Hammadi Library, the Dead Sea Scrolls to people in church. And they're like, hey, you know what? Don't read that. Don't, don't look into that. I was like, hey, but uh, why in the Old Testament, why does it, why does it reference Enoch? What's going on here? Where's Enoch? Well, it's not a, it's not a canonical book in our canon, but it's a canonical book in the Ethiopian Bible and all this. I was like, so why is that? Uh, You know what? Actually disregard the Old Testament. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I had family members tell me this. Yeah, I've had family, family, family tell me, hey, just disregard the Old Testament altogether. I go, what? What? So, it's okay to nitpick and, and choose what you want to, what you want to occult and what you want to have exoteric and all this stuff. And then when you start to question it, you become a problem. You become an issue. You know, I was reading, I remember 12 years old reading the book of Revelation and my grandma telling me that they were going to cut my head off if I didn't, if I didn't accept Jesus, right? When the rapture came, if I didn't accept Jesus in time, if I would have stayed in the whole seven years and all this stuff going on, the, the first three were going to be great. Then the, 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 the second half was going to be, eh, and then the last half was going to be horrible, right? And the plagues. And all. Yeah. I remember all this stuff. I was a, I was a 12 year old kid learning about this. 
That's traumatizing. That is That's child abuse. That it a hundred percent. But when Absolutely. I start, it dehumanizes you. It makes you hate yourself. That's all of the conditioning that Christianity does is to make you hate yourself and embrace the idea mm -hmm. that you're evil and therefore you should be destroyed. And that he who comes to destroy you is your salvation. And that is um, in the Kabbalists acknowledge the fact that Jesus returns as the antichrist to slaughter all the Christians. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in what you said. You talked about Jesus being the beginning and the end. And in the book of Revelation, he is called the Alpha and the Omega. That relates to the golem. The word inscribed on the golem's forehead is emet, which begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, aleph, the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet mem, and ends with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, tav. It has always been acknowledged that when Jesus called himself the Alpha and the Omega, he was calling himself the Aleph and the Tav. And uh, that proves that Jesus himself was a golem. The purpose of the golem is to be a monster created out of chaos. Jesus was created by the succubus Lilith and placed in the womb of Mary to become the golem to destroy the Roman Empire. Uh, the golem is made dead by erasing the letter Aleph, the beginning, so that the end ceases to exist, which forms the word met, which is the Hebrew word for dead. So all of these are cryptically revealing to the fellow Kabbalists that Jesus is a golem who's created out of the muck of clay to become a monster to destroy those who worship him. The Gospel of Judas is the book that makes that crystal clear together with the Apocalypse of Abraham. In the Apocalypse of Abraham, Satan kisses and worships Jesus because Jesus is his son. But ultimately, at the end of the 6,000-year period, both Satan and Yahweh have to be killed so that the Israelites themselves become the gods who govern chaos just as the alchemist creates uh, the homunculi, the um, Kabbalists will create 600,000 androgynous immortal beings who will then be the gods of the universe. Their will will uh, provide whatever order it wants to chaos. In the Gospel of Judas, Jesus also in, uh, instructs Judas that the 12 disciples are in fact deceivers who lead the Christians who are likened to cattle to the slaughter on the altar. So when Jesus talks about as it was in the beginning, so it's going to be in the end, he is referring to the triumph of Jacob over Esau and the fact that he, Jesus, will be the force through his deceivers, the apostles, who will deceive Christians into believing in him abandon their own supernatural protection through their own gods, which created them, and come to believe that Satan is their guardian angel who will protect them. Satan betrays them on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. He flips from being the accuser of the Israelites to being their advocate. And Jesus repeats that cycle and becomes the Antichrist who imposes the final judgment on uh, the non-Israelite world and uh, sentences them to extermination in the final judgment. Christians were led to build up this world empire. 
the Roman Empire was taught to destroy all the pagan gods. Jesus is actually the Egyptian demon Shesmu. Shesmu was a god who trampled the wine press, which meant uh, steps on the heads of the gods and of human beings and extracts their blood. And this mythology is repeated in Isaiah chapter 63 and Revelation chapter 19. And Jesus is that God who kills all the other gods and feeds their blood to his master God in the Egyptian myths, Unas in the uh, Hebrew myths, Yahweh. So the process that is being taken place is again, this demon God, Shesmu, extracts the soul as blood. In, um, in Judaism, blood is the seat of the soul, which is why kosher prohibit, prohibits eating blood because you'll absorb the souls of animals and prohibits eating unclean animals because you'll absorb their unclean souls. And blood is also one of, the more, mo, mo, one of the most powerful offerings, right? You could give to a demon or something because that's the, that's the life force, right? That's the... Absolutely. In the original rites, it was the blood that was offered. And then in the Egyptian rites, that became symbolized by wine. Wine represents blood, which is the Eucharist. So before you you go any further, Christopher, you're going on and you're a black belt in this. We know it. So I want to ask you a couple questions that I've been wondering about. So we have the idea of the homunculus. We have the idea of... Jesus being the golem, right? And and there's various stories of the golem. The one that I like the most is the uh, Rabbi Judai Lo in Prague, 16th century, where he makes the golem to protect the Jewish ghettos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So a golem is more of like a robotic AI program to do one thing. It doesn't speak. It's imperfect. It just it's the it's the it obeys. The, it's it, supposed it, to obey. It obeys, right? But it eventually becomes a monster which becomes disobedient and the, the monster becomes the master and it has to be killed by erasing the Aleph. Like Frank, like, like Frankenstein's monsters. Christians are the slaves who initially build the empire, teach everyone to embrace the idea that a Jewish king will rule the world from Zion. And once that has been accomplished at the end of the age of Pisces, the Aleph has to be erased and Jesus and the Christians have to be killed by their own forces interesting how that works <laughs> so and before before uh rabbi lerv in praha in prague there was elijah baal shem mm-hmm. of helm and uh it's in that original story where you get this idea of erasing the aleph and killing um killing the golem by destroying the word Amet and changing yeah, he, he forgets one night whoops i forgot to turn the golem off that night and he just killed everybody so this idea of jesus being the golem right and, and later on becoming frankenstein's monster where he he tells frankenstein he's like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna see you at your you know your wedding night you're you're the and he ends up killing everybody that he loves right it's the monster that he created etc how you're saying eventually you have to kill it the homunculi, the homunculus, it is, it serves a purpose, right? So it's a, it's a man created for, for magic and referencing the Liber Vecae. May uh, I interrupt with a very important insight on that point? Yeah. In traditional Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, the angels have no will of their own. 
They are completely obedient to God, and they only serve a singular purpose. There are angels who perform justice. There are angels who make people fall in love. But the conception of the angel is a being who is completely obedient to God, has no free will, and who, um, who serves a singular role. So are they golems? Now, they're, they're the prototype of golems because the rabbis in Sanhedrin Folio 65b, the rabbis say that they are the same as God. And just as God can create worlds, they can create worlds. And since the world is the macrocosm, the worlds that rabbis can create is the microcosm of the golem, which is the same process as Whoa. the creation of Adam out of clay yes. and providing breath into Adam. So they are also replicating the idea that God created the angels as his forces. So they are going to create the golems as their forces. Interesting. Wow. Okay. I did not, I did not know that. That's, that's really interesting. It's like that would explain Metatron, right? Metatron becomes this, this gatekeeper, this, this overwatcher of reality, right? Enoch, he, I believe that's what they're holding. I believe that that's at the core, what the occult, you know, the esoteric and exoteric knowledge where if Enoch, after he was shown the secrets, right? After he was able to look behind the veil, he became this great angel, Metatron, right? He, he transformed, and I think that's what they're holding us back from, where if you do learn the secrets, if you do transcend all the degrees, whatever it may be on these secret societies, it, whatever. It might be a pyramid skin at the end of the day, but I do think that there is some, a little mustard seed somewhere in there where, where it's not just complete bullshit. But I do think that's what they hold us back from when it comes to this occulted knowledge. They want to hold us back from being able to transcend and becoming essentially our own gods or whatever it may be. I, I'm, I'm not hundred percent, but what I wanted to ask you was this idea that well, homo can I uh, address what you said, because it's very insightful and very <laughs> important. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, Enoch and Elijah were the ones who ascended to heaven. The concept of the Sephirotic tree is that the Hasid ascends up through in the exact opposite order of the emanations of light. The emanations of light first emanated into Keter, which is Metatron, which is Adam Kadmon, and then they emanate from there to fill the descending vessels as emanations. In Neoplatonism, the opposite of emanation is epistrophe, which is ascent. It is the eagle as opposed to the serpent. And the rabbis believe that a righteous person, a tzaddik, the righteous are the tzaddikim, uh, that that person can ascend. And then you reach this point just below the upper three uh, sephirot, where you have what's called the dark night of the soul. In the Platonic system, which is derived from the Mithraic system, the soul ascends across the seven spheres of the seven heavens upon the seven planets. Islam also adopted this mythology. So the soul has to ascend the lower seven sephirot, and it then reaches the dark abyss of the stars, and it has to cross that point. 
at that point, it is tempted by the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, to return back to the material worlds of the lower seven heavens and the earth. And they say, stay on the earth. You can have sex. You can have food. You can keep your body alive and immortal. The good inclination and the good angels encourage what are called the righteous. The righteous are the tzaddik and the tzaddikim. And they are encouraged to continue their journey. And if they cross over that great abyss, which Plato called the great divide, into the higher realm of the gods beyond the stars, they can then become what are called prophets, like the prophet Elijah and like Enoch. The ascended masters. You can call them the masters if you want. The, they are referred to as prophets and as the righteous among the rabbis. And they get to see the map of the Torah, which is written in the 22 letters of Hebrew, which inscribes the divine words which manufacture creation. Because in Genesis, it said, God said, let there be light. So it is speaking this divine language which generates creation. And because creation is a map, these divine prophets, these righteous beings, get to look at that map. And some of them simply disappear into that heavenly world, and some of them return to the earth as prophets. Okay, so you, you said a lot of really great stuff there. I'm going to ask my original question, because I know this is <laughs> we can go a whole bunch of places with this. This is, this is great. I think this is what these guys like, Crowley and all them, what crossing of the abyss, they were obsessed with that because how you mentioned at the very beginning, it's all about destroying the ego, letting the, you know, leaving the ego behind. So it's all about the ascent back to the gods. Uh, it's called the Lectio Divina in uh, Catholicism. It's called the mystic, Unio Mystica in Neoplatonism, the mystical reunion with the one which first emanated the divine sparks of our soul. Is that what that the bridal the chamber was about goal. for the Gnostics? The bridal chamber is about reuniting the male and the female into an androgyne. So the homunculus. No, not necessarily. It, Adam is created in the image of the gods. That's one of the first things that the Bible says in Genesis. Those gods are Yahweh and Shekinah. The Godhead is also an androgyne. It is male and female. Mm -hmm. And it only became divided in a catastrophe when Adam believed that it was only female that it was Shekinah or uh, Asherah, as the Canaanites called her. And uh, Yahweh became angry because the male aspect of the God was not um, recognized by Adam when Adam was created. That caused a split, a division in the Godhead into its male aspect, Yahweh, and its female aspect, Shekinah. Likewise, Satan the evil godhead, was also an androgyne. And when that happened, Satan got divided into his male aspect, Samael, and his female aspect, Lilith. Now, Adam was created in the image of the gods, male and female. He had to be cut in half 
to create Adam and Eve. So Eve is actually Adam and is viewed that way uh, in the oral tradition of Judaism. They are one being, but they are the male aspect of that being and the female aspect of that being. In the temple, the original temple of Solomon, there was a bedchamber where um, Yahweh and Shekinah would have sex every night, and that would keep the world joyful and happy. That bedchamber was destroyed when uh, the temple was destroyed. Shekinah became very resentful when that happened, and she left Yahweh. Yahweh then started to have sex with Lilith, the female aspect of Satan. And Shekinah started to have sex with Samael, who was Jesus Christ, Messiah, son of Joseph. That is viewed as a catastrophe, which results in disorder in the universe. And uh, the Israelites believe that they themselves, by having sex, start to recombine the androgyne, and therefore they encourage Yahweh and Shekinah to reunite. But before Yahweh and Shekinah can be reunited, the Amalekites, the uh, non-Israelites, have to be exterminated. The king of Israel has to be anointed, and the temple has to be rebuilt. And that temple will be the bridal chamber in which Yahweh and Shekinah will then reunite and become a androgynous godhead. And the Kabbalists will then breed their 600,000 androgynous immortal uh, Judahites to rule the earth and be the sole inhabitants of the earth. And that's what the bridal chamber is all about. Yikes. All right. So I'm going to ask my question now, Christopher. <laughs> I'm listening. So You're asking great questions. That's why I go on so long because you keep asking these. Questions. It's it's a rabbit hole, right? So there's so much that we can that we can pick at. So I like the idea of the homunculus serving a magical purpose. Now, I like, and I subscribe to the idea that Jesus Christ was a homunculus because why do you believe? And we can get into the Eucharist now. I believe, again, based on the Liber Vecchi, where the homunculus is cannibalized in order to achieve certain magical powers, i.e. walk on water, see demons, speak to demons, uh, drive somebody insane, grow whatever quickly, plant quickly, etc., etc. You name it, it's a grimoire, and it gives you these, these ingredients and these recipes in order to do certain things with a homunculus. I believe that the reason that Jesus Christ was cannibalized was for the same reason. Because he was a homunculus, he's cannibalized, i.e. the Eucharist, symbolically or quite literally at some point in time, right? Why, why do you believe that he is cannibalized other than the, I, other than the fact that he had to be given up in order for the, the second son, right? The second coming, the, 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 the twin brother, whoever it was. Messiah, son of David, to Ma assimilate his soul to assimilate his soul, right? He was an offering, but why is he cannibalized? Why is it that this represents the body of Christ and this, the blood? Why, why? I have a very unexpected answer for you. Let's go there. And maybe we ought to, uh, share screens. Can you show the, uh, share screen? You want me to bring it up now? Please do. All right. Hold on. Oh, shoot.
and I accidentally clicked out of this. Accidentally clicked out of the stream. <laughs> All right, so sharing screen now. There you go. I accidentally hit the the back key on my on my mouse. In uh, the book of Enoch and in the Apocalypse of Abraham, not Enoch, uh, Third Baruch. It states that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in fact a grapevine. And therefore the serpent was hung upon a grapevine and the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that provided the gnosis, the knowledge to mankind was a grape and was uh, wine in effect. Wine is an intoxicating drink Intoxication leads the mind into a state of chaos. So wine in Psalms and throughout the Old Testament is perceived as an evil force. Um, when Noah replanted the vineyard, after uh, the earth had been cleansed, he brought the tree of the knowledge of good and evil back to the earth and restored the earth as Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of evil. Jesus Christ is that serpent on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His blood is that grape juice, that wine, which is offered to humanity as gnosis, as knowledge. Um, Israelites shun that knowledge because it brings with it the curse of death. But it only brings with it the curse of death for so long as that fruit is unripe. Adam and Eve were cursed to death because they consumed the unripe fruit of knowledge. That knowledge is the same knowledge that Prometheus gave to humanity when he provided humanity with fire. That was the knowledge of the arts of civilization, agriculture, metallurgy, uh, city building, etc., that was re represented by Cain leaving the Garden of Eden and creating uh, cities. And his descendant, Tubal Cain, coming up with the idea of metallurgy. All those are knowledge, but they are unripe and they are used for evil purposes. Nuclear bombs are unripe knowledge. Biological weapons are unripe knowledge. They destroy the Garden of Eden. Cities destroyed the Garden of Eden. The earth was paved over with cities. Human beings were then cursed to toil and uh, use the knowledge of agriculture to grow plants. And they became slaves of the land instead of the land serving them as a slave to provide their sustenance. So Jesus is the Satan giving Gnosis, which is where the term Gnostic comes from. His blood is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it is poisonous and brings with it the curse of death, which is why Christians were taught to ritually consume it and poison themselves. But as Paracelsus pointed out, the poison becomes the cure. And in the story of Moses, there is a brazen serpent called Nehushtan, which was also hung from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he was the viper who becomes the cure for the poisonous bite of vipers. Now, Jesus, at the end of the 6,000 years, flips and becomes the advocate of the Israelites 
and mass murders all the Christians. At that point, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil becomes ripened. And then it becomes kosher to consume. So the Israelites can then consume the knowledge which was developed by the Gentile world and utilize it to restore Adam back into an androgynous, immortal being and to restore the earth into the Garden of Eden where everything will be provided for them by science and technology because the knowledge will finally have become ripened. But to the non-Israelite world, it remains the curse of death and the unripe fruit, which they consume as the bread and wine, the Eucharist, in order to poison them into extinction. Yikes. So I've been lied to for almost my entire life. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, For the last 2,000 years, the uh, Roman Empire, initially the Europeans, and the North Africans were lied to, and they were set up, and it was all a plan. And the plan is being fulfilled exactly on schedule. Jesus repeatedly said that uh, this won't be fulfilled until the end of the age, and that age is the age of Pisces. Pisces represents two fish. Those two fish are the two Leviathans, Mm -hmm. the evil serpent and the good serpent. Is this why these occultists were so obsessed with bringing forth these new ages they wanted to usher it in as quick as possible because they wanted absolutely yes and there were they believed that it was being delayed by the disobedience of the israelites and in the talmud it says that the world has to become entirely righteous or entirely wicked for all of this to be fulfilled and they had a dilemma because there are supposedly 36 righteous men who keep the world in existence So the world cannot become entirely wicked and still exist. And then on the other hand, the evil inclination will exist for as long as Esau's descendants exist. So the resolution of this uh, dilemma to make the world entirely righteous was proposed by Isaac Luria and Lurian Kabbalah through the process of tikkun olam, rectification of the world, which is to remove the kelipot from existence to get rid of the shells of darkness and leave only the sparks of divine light. Okay. Wow. So I wanted to bring in here this, this quote that I have had for a long time. Well, not a quote, but in Sumerian, the word bar means temple and we go to bars to consume wine and spirits. Cause you're talking about consuming the, the blood, the poisonous blood of, your boy JC and how it's it's the ultimate Faustian pact where yes you're going to have the gnosis but at what cost is it exactly it is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which was a grapevine yeah exactly so it's what are you willing to go and are well, they that's also related to the occultists which you like to study in terms of the left hand path mm-hmm. and the right hand path and pursuing a reunion with the gods do you want to reunite with the most ancient gods of chaos or do you want to reunite with the second-born gods of light? Whoa. Okay. And so, all right, so there's a cosmic, so it's Star Wars. I mean, that's where George Lucas exactly. got it. Exactly. Oh, it's, absolutely. That's, it's the Sith that's, and the, the Jedis. It. That's wow. It. That's, that's what it's all about. 
So taking because there's also among this dualism, there is this concept of the commingling that the two serpents have mm. to unite as one serpent. And that is when the knowledge becomes ripe. But are they commingling together and creating reality? Is that is that is that what's going on? Yes, and the reality will be the world to come. Wow. When uh, in Kabbalistic terms, it is the ascent of the lower world to the upper world, as above, so below. The earth of Malkut will rise up to Yahweh's penis, through which is Yesod, the Messiah, son of Joseph, and then it will ascend to Yahweh's throne in Tiferet. And um, what it is is, uh, like Jesus said, the expression of um, on earth as it is in heaven. When the two are combined, the duality of the one, it's it's a strange combination. So they're trying of to combine. They're trying to combine the. Are they? Tr- correct me if I'm wrong. From your point of view, are they trying to combine both worlds into one eventually? Yes, absolutely. The heavenly temple and the earthly temple. That's what transhumanism is all about. Um, very much so. I think transhumanism that's... is all about. Uh, utilizing ripened knowledge to transform human beings back into what it was in the beginning, which was Adam, who was an androgynous, uh, immortal being. So this is what they want to do. Adam was thought of as pure light initially. And the mythology of Adam being clothed represents uh, Adam attaining flesh, which was the material world. Which I think that's what the whole metaverse thing is, where they want to be able to eventually download our consciousness and get rid of what you were saying, just leave the divine spark, the conscious, which I believe is consciousness, because that's the whole thing that these lizard esque reptilian people they can't think for themselves, they have no creativity, they don't have that divine spark, right? The 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 touch from whatever god it is that that is up there or whatever being it is at this point. Uh, but that's what I think they're trying to encapsulate that whatever they can into a computer or I don't, I don't know. I mean, but that's a really, it reminds me of Tracy Twyman's work where we're with, with meat and bafflement and how it's the, the two pillars are being held up by this being, this hermaphroditic being that has the two pillars of existence and it's holding it up. The two and, pillars are that it's aspects, it's male aspect, it's female aspect, it's aspect of severity and it's aspect of mercy. Mercy is obtained by scapegoating uh, the non-Israelite world for the Israelites. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. Um, but in terms of transhumanism, there's also this dualism. What you're talking about is uh, imparting silicone and non-organic matter into the organic brains of non-Israelite human beings in order to drain them of their soul and to uh, absorb all of that soul energy and then transfer it so that you, you can't look at it as being a single thing. There's us and there's them. And from their perspective of us, they are going to utilize Uh, viewing themselves as gods who have gone beyond God because God only was able to utilize the organic matter of chaos to create life and impart a soul. But they have gone a step further and utilized inorganic matter to create uh, animate beings with a soul. So they view themselves as higher than God. 
And there are statements in the Talmud where they argue with God and win the argument. So they view themselves, again, as being able to create their own worlds and as being superior to the gods, and they will eliminate the gods in the world to come and replace them as their own gods, just as in the story of the Tower of Babel. They ascend to heaven and slay the gods, like ascending to Mount Olympus to slay Zeus and the other gods. That's what it's all about. But wow. for them, they will utilize transhumanism to impart these computers in their brain and to also uh, utilize uh, chimeric genetics to impart animal aspects to themselves to make themselves superhuman beyond human but to the non-israelite worlds they will use it to uh, make them descend further on the great chain of being towards chaotic matter and enslave them and deprive them of their soul i think they've already achieved that christopher i think the great the cell phone did a hell of a lot to achieve that and before that was the uh television have you ever seen this image before I don't think so. So apparently this is another version of Baphomet where they call it meat and it's holding up the two, the sun and the moon, right? The pillars of existence. And it's got to do, I was obsessed with Baphomet for a while and right. The Knights Templar. Do you have anything on the Knights Templar and what they were up to? Or were they the good guys or were they the bad guys or what's going on? Because I don't even know what to believe anymore. I think the Crusades and the Knights Templar was about uh, seizing um, seizing Palestine for the benefit of the Israelites so that they could return and restore themselves. And at the same time, they persecuted people throughout uh, Europe in order to force them to leave their lives in Europe and migrate to Palestine. And I think that's what that whole movement was about. In terms of the Templars and their gold and the Holy Grail and all of that, um, there are a lot of legends built up about it, and it's hard to determine what the facts are. But they uh, admired John the Baptist, mm -hmm. and they um, liked the uh, Mandeans of Iraq. Yes, yes, which that was the whole, it was an Egyptian belief. If you had the head of a prophet, it would prophesize to you, right? So divination, you have necromancy, you have a whole bunch of different beliefs in there. But well, that also relates to the serpent's curse of crushing the head of the serpent, which is decapitation. So John the Baptist was decapitating the mm. enemies of Israel through the golem, Jesus Christ. Interesting. And another thing I wanted to mention was that uh, John the Baptist baptized through water, but Jesus baptized through the Holy Spirit, which is a distinction. And the Holy Spirit in Christianity actually represents the succubus Lilith who imparts uh, demonic embryos into human females. And that's what Jesus Christ was in the story. Whoa. Was, a, <laughs> was uh, the succubus Lilith, who is the screech owl of Isaiah chapter 34, verse 14, um, is the female aspect of Satan. And in the oral tradition of Judaism, one of the things that she always did was to impart... Uh, demonic fetuses into human females and then murder their naturally created human uh, children so that the mothers would be focused on raising the demons and not waste any of their energy raising their own children. And that is a repetition of the story of Cain's birth because it was Lilith who appeared before Eve and seduced her 
and fornicated with her and put in the fetus of Cain into Eve. So it's a repetition of the story of Eve fornicating with the serpent. Jesus Christ's birth, virgin birth, is a repetition of that. Yikes. Yeah, my grandma would be proud right now if she heard me talking about this. So, well, this is this is not my beliefs. This is this was uh, pointed out by Isaac Luria to Chaim Vital, who recorded the notion that Jesus is the reincarnation of Esau, who was the reincarnation of Cain, and that appears in the sixty seventh chapter of Shar Hagagulam, Gate of Reincarnations, chapter sixty seven. I like the shout out to Alex Rivera. He talked, he said one time on a show that Kabbalah is the tool that they used, I'm paraphrasing, a tool that they used to decipher this matrix, to decipher this reality. And how you're. It's a tool to decipher the written law. And that written law is the matrix in that um, Mm -hmm. the Torah is composed of the 600,000 letters of 600,000 souls of the Israelites. And it is the map of creation. That's a very common uh, theme in Kabbalah. Interesting. So you think that eventually with transhumanism, they will achieve their goal of getting rid of the husks and the empty shells that you were talking about and, and what powering their, their bringing to fruition their new messiah or what's what's gonna happen what's what happens after i don't know if it's gonna happen but that's their plan and they have developed all of the technologies to do it they developed the nuclear bombs that become the unripe poisonous fruit that uh pits us against one another i believe they created both christianity and islam Christianity represents the Leviathan. Islam is stated to be the behemoth. In the book of Job, it talks about the Leviathan and the behemoth. And there were uh, medieval um, texts in which it was said that Islam was created in order to be the behemoth that would battle with the Leviathan. In other words, Christendom and Islam would fight each other and mutually consume each other. And then their flesh would be given a, um, a great feast at the end of time when the world to come had arrived. And that is Jesus's wedding banquet where uh, Jesus's flesh is consumed as the ripened fruit, as the Leviathan's flesh. And then his skin is the uh, coat, Joseph's coat of many colors, which is the stars of the Ouroboros uh, rotating around the earth. And that will illuminate Jerusalem. They will skin Jesus and utilize his skins to illuminate Jerusalem, in effect, creating phosphorescent um, gems in the walls of Jerusalem to illuminate it. Wow. Okay, and that's found in Bhava Batra, uh, folio 74B, I believe, 74A or 74B. They sound like the great Talmud. people, Christopher. They sound like they're really, really... Uh, they have been horrible to humanity, and they have been most horrible to the Jewish people themselves, which is um, something that I hope I can awaken people to, and that this not become an anti-Jewish movement, but as a movement to save all of us together because um, very, very few Jewish people have ever been let in on all of these secrets. But there are rabbis 
uh, top rabbis who are repeating what I'm saying as if they had thought of it, because now that I have revealed it, uh, they are free to uh, speak about it publicly. And no one has been able to refute what I've been saying. And it's been out for years now. Yeah, very interesting. So you say that other than than informing ourselves and educating ourselves, is there anything else that we can do? Obviously, we're, I'm, we're podcasting now about it, spreading awareness. And I've always said that that this whole reality that that is implanted in us right since a very young age in order to i believe that we all emanate our realities and when you put some ideas how you mentioned earlier about christianity hating this this realm you hate it because the idea that there is a more divine i remember as a kid they told me oh we're gonna have a mansion made of gold that's the world to come of christianity the kingdom of heaven it's a heavenly kingdom it's not an earthly kingdom and it has a heavenly temple and again, they have this idea of ascent to mm-hmm. the heavenly kingdom. Mm-hmm. But uh, in Judaism, that ascent takes place on the earth and mm. uh, maintaining yourselves alive and having children. But in the Christian mythology, especially in the Gnostic, uh, the first Gnostic Christian mythology, it was obtained by have freeing the soul from the corpse of flesh mm-hmm. and ascending to heaven that way. So it was suicidal and genocidal. Interesting. So the ba- the quote unquote bad guys that wanted to get rid of the other group made that up, and they made it. They made them believe it all this time. I mean, because I've Absolutely. always said that as a Christian, you're preparing for the afterlife, and you don't take it. But why did the they why did you life as death and death as if life? It's completely irrational, and they view sex the procreation, Mm -hmm. the beautiful creation of your children, which keeps your DNA in existence as if it's an evil act of original sin. Why did the Egyptians, why did the Egyptians want to maintain their bodies, right? Why did they prep their bodies for when they died? Did they have a belief that they could come and inhabit that body again after the fact or what's going on there? Because they were also about the, after you know the afterlife after they die they they would be buried with their gold so they can take their gold into the afterlife and whatever it was but why'd they leave their body why why would they prep their body after the fact because they believed that there was a journey that would take place after you died and you needed your body and your slaves and uh, your accoutrement you needed food you needed your preserved heart and these other things in the afterlife so that you could go through this journey. And they would inscribe on the walls of the tombs of the mummies the lessons that they would need to um, uh, make it through this journey. And in the Orphic mythologies and in the Greek uh, mystery religions, they had uh, what was called a bronze tablet that became a golden tablet that also had these instructions inscribed on them. And they talked about the idea you would go down a river and then you would have to turn right and all of these things. And you would pass through several gods on your journey across the planets. And this is also in the Mithraic mythologies and was picked up by Islam and by Kabbalah and by the Merkava of the chariot that you would have to take this journey where your soul ascended across these seven planets 
and each planet would have a gate and you would have to know the passwords to give to the demons and the angels to make it through these gates. And that all relates to this original uh, Egyptian conception of a journey to the world of the afterlife. And the Egyptians believed you would have your own body preserved, that you would uh, re-enter and make this journey. The Kabbalists and the Greeks believed that you would actually be freed of your body, but that you would need to have the gnosis, the knowledge, the passwords to give to the demons and you would have to know the proper path to follow, especially when you reach the great abyss and the dark night of the soul, you would have to have all of this knowledge. And in Kabbalah, there is an 11th Sephirot known as Deat, which means knowledge. So you would have to have all of this knowledge for your soul to be able to make it across the great abyss into the divine realm. Have you been there by any chance, Christopher? Have you visited these places before? Yes, I visited and I have returned to uh, save humanity from the evil forces. <laughs> wow, yeah, this is really crazy. And One of the things we have to do is not fall into hate because hate is what they utilize to pit us against one another and divide us into mm -hmm. these two opposing forces of the Leviathan and the Behemoth so that we consume one another. War and uh, disease and political strife and social unrest all work in their favor. So what we ought to be doing is uh, encouraging our fellow citizens, both in our nation and of the earth, to uh, work together and face the challenges that we face in non-destructive and mutually beneficial ways. And that's the best way to fight our enemies. The other thing is to shine a spotlight on them and what their agenda is so that we can understand why they are imposing these 10 plagues of the apocalyptic era upon us, uh, what their belief system is. And um, we have to be very wary of how they are ripening the fruit of knowledge to become poisonous to us until the point where it becomes salvational for them in terms of exterminating us. And we have to be very wary of how technology is being utilized by the pharmacological uh, things, the way that androgyny is being pushed in academia and the media to make us non-procreative and to encourage the idea of creating human beings in vitro like homunculi. And all of these things are engineered to exterminate us and to deprive us of our human souls and our human nature. Yes, and I agree. I don't care if, uh, what sexuality you are, but it, it's part of the agenda where they want to. And it's 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 eugenics. It's it's genocide. Where if you, it's actually dysgenics for one side and what they conceive of as eugenics for them. Dysgenics is called. Yes, dysgenics, uh, breeding stupider, uh, less apt to survive human beings. And they always said that one part of the um, agenda to reduce the human population would be to promote homosexuality and to promote androgyny. And I have nothing against homosexuals at all. This is also detrimental to them because it is making something out of them which is not their nature. Yeah, the scapegoats. 
they become the scapegoats or they become the symbol to be emulated as normal. Mm -hmm. And it's not either one traditionally among human beings. And they're simply being used. Uh, many of them are very good people and they're being used as a weapon, mm -hmm. just uh, as everybody's being used as a weapon. So I'm not speaking out against them. I'm speaking out against the agenda, which is uh, taking advantage of them and weaponizing them to uh, attack humanity in general. Yeah. And, and again, this is why nothing against anybody. I love everyone equally, but there are some things that they do push more than others and how you're saying, I, I didn't know this term dysgenics, but now, now I do. And it goes back to, to Pythagoras. Allegedly Pythagoras was the one that came up with the whole eugenics thing. And I didn't know that Republic Plato's Republic was supposedly finished after Plato had acquired some of Pythagoras's burned works after the fact. So, you know, there's a, some Pythagorean, if you want to believe that he was a real person, Pythagorean influence in the works of Plato, which Plato paved the way for the Gnostics and Christianity and Catholicism and all these other world religions that we know of today, because it started with these people. And, and that's what a lot of people don't understand that it starts somewhere and they got their influence from somebody even earlier than that. So I, that's why I believe that religion will eventually change. And I think it's going to get to a point to where it's, there's going to be a tipping point and who knows if we're going to be worshiping some, some electronic Cthulhu or something at the end of the day. I don't, I'm not a percent. Plato was very heavily influenced by Pythagoras. He was also influenced by the, uh, Mithraic, um, the um, Zoroastrian type dualism mm -hmm. and he was uh, heavily influenced by the Eleatic philosophers uh, Parmenides mm -hmm. and Zeno and that's where the conception of the one uh, which is in the Shema of Judaism that God is one and that everything uh, when it is perfect is one and that uh, the Platonic conception of the ideal forms relates very strongly to those conceptions of Parmenides, that being and becoming are distinct, and that becoming is an illusion of what is ideal being. I don't think Pythagoras had any of that. I think it came from Parmenides. Wait, can you repeat that again slower? for Because uh, that's really nice. I like that. That there is uh, this distinction from ideal being and what humans perceive as an illusion of becoming that ideal. And that our minds uh, don't have the uh, beautiful, perfect forms of the first intellect. We therefore perceive um, thousands of guitars, but there is only one ideal form of the guitar. And that ultimately everything resolves into the unity of the monad of the one, which is timeless. And that everything coexists in that ideal world. But we live in an illusionary world like the simile of the cave in which we are in the process of becoming that ideal. And that's why we are reincarnated over and over again, according to Plato, in a very similar system to the Hindus where we are given the opportunity to rectify our souls and improve our souls so that we, through this process of becoming, become ideal being, which is timeless and eternal and spaceless. I also like 
what Plato says about that we know all the knowledge. We're just remembering it all over again, right? Like everything that there's that there ever was to learn, we already know it. We're just when you learn something, you're just remembering it from this. How you're saying this? This next level, this upper dimension, the Akashic records, the upper eons, whatever you want in heaven, whatever you want to name it. True being, absolute being, perfect being. I have a similar philosophy in terms of the uh, notion that premonition is identical to memory. And in a sense, we remember the future by having premonitions about the future. And that memories themselves are actually physical constructs within the cerebellum and cerebrum of the brain that creates a database upon which our higher mind generates consciousness. And that there are three, um, I call them databases of past, present, and future that actually have nothing to do with time. They are simply part of the construct of the brain in the present, in this world in which we exist, which changes from moment to moment but that our brains cause us to act and that action is part of the structure of the universe, which forms this web that we perceive as a chain of events because we have these images in our consciousness of past, present, and future, all of which exist in the present, but that the present never disappears, that the future already exists and that our consciousness travels from each of these individual frames in each individual moment with the perception that it is the same consciousness in the same world traveling through uh, identical matter which is being rearranged. I don't think that matter is permanent or energy is permanent in the sense that it changes and the past disappears and it rearranges into something new. I think that every moment is composed of its own unique matter and energy all of which coexists forever, all of which has always existed and all of which will always exist. And therefore, um, what we perceive through these databases of memory, which is always inaccurate, our understanding of the present, which is always inaccurate, and our under expectation of the future, which is always inaccurate, is simply part of the construct of our brain that forms part of the construct of the overall universe which is composed of all of these individual worlds of moments and that we are constructed in this manner so that these worlds are integrated together. And we are blessed to have a perception of that through the fact that our consciousness is composed of these images of past, present, and future, but it is always ultimately only present. And that present constitutes its own individual world of matter, form, and energy, and that it is not these worlds transmuting into one another. Instead, all of these worlds coexist forever. Wow, that's like what Alan Watts, when he says the, the it's only the eternal now, that's that's all that's ever existing, because you're always in the now, but they've indoctrinated, you, would you say that they've indoctrinated us to want to remember the past and all this stuff, or... They want to shape how we remember the past mm. and they want to shape our perceptions of the present and our expectations of the future. So magic. And that is often, often done maliciously. 
to control us as if we were robotic slaves. So what they are doing is creating the database that our soul, our higher mind, draws upon to form the image that we perceive as our inner voice and consciousness. So they have enslaved us by controlling the data of our memories, the data of our sense perceptions, and how we interpret those sense perceptions and our expectations of the future. And they do it mostly with lies which is one of the things that I resent so strongly about Christianity is that it lies to us about our past. Um, why is it that Europeans have abandoned all of their ancestors in favor of worshiping mythical figures of Israelites who never existed? Why is it that American Indian Christians do the same or Chinese Christians or African Christians? They give up all of the past which ought to form their ancestral memories uh, to this mythology religion which is built of lies. And that makes it impossible for their soul or their higher mind, as I call it, to formulate consciousness in a survivable way. Whereas if they had maintained the traditions of their ancestors who survived for hundreds of thousands of years prior to Christianity, then their consciousness would have something which was proven to perpetuate the survival of their being through their children into the future so that their DNA, which is their immortality, which is the unifying being that goes through this transmutation of worlds into the various events that we perceive as time, will make that line of our lives as long as possible instead of cutting it short. And the Greeks had a very similar conception with the three fates, the three women who would uh, weave the thread of our lives, measure it out and cut it and determine what our destiny is. And I think a big part of that thread is our consciousness, the decisions we make, the actions we take, uh, whether we love ourselves or hate ourselves, whether our uh, children are dear to us, or we view them as the abomination of trapping a soul in the material world. Christianity is a trap that was imposed upon us to manipulate our consciousness, to view ourselves as inherently evil, and to resent the creation of children, and to seek to achieve salvation through our own self-extermination. Wow. I couldn't, I couldn't have put it better myself Christopher <laughs> so yeah this is this is really heavy and this is gonna again I've I've talked about a lot of blasphemous and heretical things on my show before but never I don't think I've ever actually been you know been there in, in this way and I think you really put it in a coherent way so so maybe you can host a debate sometime uh, with somebody on the opposing side and we can sort out the facts and that will uh, help people to better understand. Yeah, yeah. But Christians should be warned that um, the Jews always view Jesus Christ as the devil. In the New Testament, in John, and throughout the Gospels, they refer to him as Beelzebub and as the devil, and they always shunned him. The Gnostics openly acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the devil, 
and the Kabbalists openly state that Jesus is the devil. So the very people who originated Christianity have consistently always identified Jesus as the devil. And as you pointed out, the gospel of Judas reveals the fact that Christianity is a trap, which is uh, meant to exterminate the children of Esau. And these are the terms that the book itself uses in order for the children of Jacob to obtain uh, immortality on the backs of exterminating Esau and absorbing his soul is how the Kabbalah later explained it. But I think it was always encrypted in the language of Gnosticism and Christianity Mm -hmm. that Jesus will return as the Antichrist, issue the final judgment, and the final judgment will be for only Israelites to inhabit the earth and all Christians to be exterminated either through the rapture or through their mutually consuming wars and be elevated to the kingdom of hell, which is actually the kingdom of hell. Elevated to the kingdom of heaven, which is actually the kingdom of hell. Mm -hmm. This whole idea of the afterlife as framed by the Christians mirrored the kingdom of Hades of the Greeks. Interesting. Yeah, I've been there. So not there, but I've been in that position where this has been uh, put in my mind and I was in church for a very long time. So again, I have Christians in America and in Russia uh, welcoming the idea that we engage in a mutually destructive nuclear war against each other that annihilates humanity. Mm. This was always the plan. This was planned 2,500 years ago. It's in the book of Isaiah. It's in the book of Ezekiel, the war of Gog and Magog, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And it was even the plan with uh, the serpent's curse where um, he will strike your heel and he will bite, crush your head. That's what's going on. Wow. Any closing thoughts, Christopher, that you want to add before we head out of here? Well, maybe we can do another show at some point on directly on the Gullum and the homunculi, and uh, we can exchange ideas, and I can present all my slides, and we can chew them over. I want to thank you very much. I think this has been one of the most productive exchanges I've had, and um, I think you're a true gentleman and a scholar. Uh, I can sense your love of knowledge and your pursuit of knowledge and your enthusiasm about sharing your knowledge with others. It really comes through. You have a great intellect. And I see great things for you in the future. Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate all your kind words. And I appreciate you coming on. And it was funny because Mark had hit me up and he told me that I should have you on when after, before I had, when I had listened to the episode that you did with him. I was like, mm, I don't know if I, could keep, if I can keep up with this guy because this guy is black belt level stuff. And hey, I, I tried my best today, but yeah, we will definitely do it again. And we didn't even cover some of the stuff that we had talked about that we were going to cover, but I will actually, for the next one, uh, read some of your books or try to get through, because you sent me a few of them. So I'll take a look at those, and yeah, we'll definitely do this again very soon in the, the near future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate you. Uh, do you want to plug your stuff real quick before we go for my listeners where they can find you? Yes, uh, all of this is documented with vettable, verifiable facts, and you can find those facts in my books, which you will find at cjbbooks.com. Awesome, and I'll post a link in my show notes for that, and you can find me at The 101 Podcast on all social media platforms, the101podcast.com, and you can find The Occultist Monday Journal on there, 
and my I have Patreon, patreon.com slash the one on podcast. Uh, exclusive episodes on there, early access, a whole bunch of good stuff. And I appreciate you for coming on, Chris, on my show and for having me on yours and for reaching out. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it very much too. And I'm so glad that uh, we got connected because you're a true intellectual who is not afraid to pursue the facts wherever they lead in a rational way. And that's a rare individual these days. Absolutely. As long as my whole thing is, as long as you can back it up with, with something, you know, not just spew bullshit out. And if you could bring up the, the, you know, Hey, this is what this says, you know, that's the way I see it. And the truth isn't always going to be a comfortable thing. It's going to, what is it? The truth will set you free. It's not going to, it's not here to caress you and cuddle you. It's here to set you free. I mean, and everyone has it their own journey. It enables your consciousness to perpetuate itself in a survivable way if you have good facts about the past, present, and future. That's the way nature has engineered the human being to survive, is to rely upon better and better understandings of what the world is. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Christopher. We'll do this again very soon. Thank you, Juan.